Hello, everyone. This is another episode of History of California podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Maddox. Today, we're going to continue our story with Junipero Serra. And I've actually recently learned it's pronounced Junipero. Unfortunately, I recorded this podcast before I knew that fact, so you'll be forced to uh, listen to my incorrect pronunciation for the duration of this podcast. Nonetheless, um, lots of interesting stuff about Junipero Serra in this podcast and uh, the second one in our series. There will be two more after this before we uh, continue to talk about the California mission system. I hope you enjoy. We live in an age where young people want to accomplish things before they have lived. The instant gratification mode of our living, of our culture, has left us blind to the hard work that it takes and the amount of time between when you begin something in success. For example, one of my favorite writers of all time is Raymond Chandler. He wrote some of the greatest detective fiction we have. My favorite work of his is Lady in the Lake. His sentences are absolute poetry, and his descriptions are so poignant that you feel that you're in the room with this sluice as he's scanning the dead body for clues. Chandler, however, did not have his first story published until he was 45 years old. And he only began his career uh, during the Great Depression when he needed a new job. Now, most young MFAs want to have a catalog of stories published in The New Yorker and be in line for the Booker Prize by the time that they're 35. In part, this is the reality of our connected world. Images of others' success sits in our pocket. We can pull our phones out and receive instant FOMO and inferiority complexes almost immediately. And that's why I think it's so important to go back to history. People lived in isolated pockets like Junipero Serra, um, and they had no sense of the outside world. And they were purely focused on what they were doing. And they also understood that it took time to build skills. It took time to develop things, projects works of art. And I think this story, in many ways, uh, shows us that success, notoriety, fame, those can come at any point in your life, and they're often dictated by circumstances and opportunities. So now, let's jump back into the the story of Sarah. We left him beginning his studies. Sarah studied for six years at the Franciscan University on his island, He would study two major thinkers, Roman Lull and John Duns Scotus. I wrote a large paper in seminary on Scotus, and his ideas have stuck with me to today, probably mostly his concept of the univocity of being, which is not original to him, but the basic idea is that the words we use to describe God can also be used to describe humans. It's the belief that we share in the goodness of God. What undergirds this philosophy is a guiding belief that humanity is capable of doing good in the world. So we can go down a whole rabbit hole in these ideas, but I just wanted to give you an example of the kinds of things he was learning so you can start to get a a picture uh, of his worldview, the way he saw the world. He saw the world where humans were out contributing good things. Um, And hopefully this is... a picture that you'll carry with you as we talk about more controversial things like the mission system. Now, 
much of the learning that he did took place in a similar way to the way college is done today. Students would listen to professor's lecture and copy down the notes exactly as possible. And oftentimes it was survival of the fittest. Uh, the fastest writers, the quickest thinkers uh, would be the ones that would make it to the top. And at the end of every class, the top seven students were kept on as professors. Um, and Sarah was one of those. He spent his early career as a teacher and a pastor, but he wasn't a parish priest. Uh, a parish priest would have had the responsibility of a congregation. Instead, he was a kind of traveling minister slash professor. He would go from church to church preaching sermons. Um, and the idea was that he was supposed to live a life uh, similar to that of St. Francis. And St. Francis himself was an itinerant, so traveling minister, preaching the word and living a life of poverty. However, this life contrasts with the other half of his life that was spent in academics. Uh, but in his mind, he saw them as one and the same thing. He saw his moral life and intellectual life um, as connected and not separate. We could spend a lot of time talking about his life as a priest and a pastor. It was a very successful life. He was the youngest professor and teacher at the university that he was at. Uh, this did cause some tension with the older faculty on staff at this particular university. Um, and I can understand that uh, young, ums, young upstarts are, are never fun to deal with. Uh, nonetheless, his success continued. He became an in-demand speaker all around the island and delivered many important sermons and important feasts and festivities on the island. At the same time, he was starting to feel anxiety about moving off of his secluded island. Many believe it was the death of his important mentor, Pereo, the very mentor that inducted him in the Franciscan community uh, that caused him to start looking outside. He probably looked at the life of his mentor spent entirely on the island, and that probably gave him pause. Perhaps he began to look at his life from 10,000 feet and ask himself what he hoped to do or what he have hoped to have done and look back on at the end of his life. He began to hint at the desire to expand beyond the world that he had mastered. Rumors began to circulate that he was planning to leave. Eventually, one of Sarah's most de dedicated students, Palu, approached him to inquire if it was, tr if it was true. Palu was also interested in traveling to New Spain. Sarah was grateful and excited. He was secretly looking for a companion and saw this as a sign from God to go. A missionary recruiter at the exact same time uh, approached him after a few missionaries dropped out on the latest mission to New Spain and asked Sarah and his student to fill in. When they set sail for the New World, it would be the, uh, the first time that either of them had been off the island. The journey to the New World was definitely eventful. They had a pit stop in London before they headed towards New Spain. The captain of the ship was a cranky Protestant who spoke Portuguese, and if we know anything about Protestants and Catholics is that there's already a lot of misunderstanding. Apparently, the journey was filled with heated arguments and some, perhaps some willful misunderstandings. When Sarah arrived in New Spain, he found a place at a colegio, uh, kind of a university uh, or a theological college. He was in some sense demoted after arriving. Um, while he was uh, on the island, he'd established himself as a formidable scholar, teacher, and preacher. And he was basically sent back to the trenches to liturgical practice and life as a student. He did not remain at the college for long, though. 
He was soon sent out to work in the field to begin to evangelize to the native people. The locus of this evangelization work was the mission. Now, the word mission is one of the most fraught and complicated words in both political and religious context. The mission can mean many different things for many different people. In the context of Christianity, mission often means expanding the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, again, is another one of those complicated words that has been taken to mean different things. Essentially, it refers to the vision of the world governed by the ethics and values of God. Mission work is expanding the kingdom by evangelizing people to bring them into this invisible world order. Now, there are a few ways to interpret mission work here. First, we can see it as a religious enterprise, but part of that is how we look at the world. Our bifurcated lenses see the world into two parts, religious and political. However, a more accurate way of seeing mission was within the broader geopolitical agenda of Spain and as a part of the counter-reformation in the politics of European power. So mission, in my mind, while it has religious components to it, is as much a political term and a political mission as opposed as as much as it is a religious one. Now, in the colonies, religion uh, was a tool of power to subdue and pacify the indigenous population. The military leaders in Spain would have seen the role of missions as a way to concentrate the, po- the populations. Now, what is a physical mission? Um, anyone who's gone on one of those elementary field trips uh, probably has a sense. They're essentially small towns concentrated around a religious building. These re- missions resemble small towns in Spain or Italy or different parts of Europe. The concentration in this small town allowed the military leaders to locate all the people and concentrate them and have a better sense of control. There's a beautiful, horrifying novel called Waiting for the Barbarians. It's a novel about a small colonial outpost, and the barbarians referred to in the title and described in the novel are the people that live outside of this outpost. They are labeled by the empire to be barbarians because they're operating and living outside of the control of the government. This, I think, is the mythology the empire creates to bring all people within its scope. It views people operating outside of its scope as savages and empire as civilization and the signifier of progress for the world. Now, Sarah and the others operating inside the world of mission would have likely seen the world through this lens in many ways, but more than likely would have had a religious emphasis. Sarah and his compatriot Palu would end up spending nearly a decade decade bouncing around uh, among mission groups and preaching in the area of present-day central Mexico. Now, Sarah's main frustration and what would eventually push uh, him to want to expand out of this area of developed Spain was that he wanted to bring more people into the fold. He wanted to expand the boundaries of the kingdom of God to the non-evangelized. And the big precipitating event that would lead him to move into Alta, California, and where this story begins to become relevant to this podcast, is that King Carlos, back in Spain, uh, called all of the Jesuits who were working in New Spain back. The Jesuits were another important Catholic order like the Franciscans. And the leaders in Spain had a sense of paranoia that the Jesuits' power 
had caused them to begin to operate outside of the, the crown's control. The Jesuits operating in Baja, the closest area to present-day California, were expelled last. And it's at this point we return to the Portola expedition and Sarah's role in establishing a series of missions in California. Hopefully you, the listener, have a good sense of the context and his background enough uh, that we can begin uh, the long journey through his time in California. My goal with these first two episodes was to set the stage without overwhelming you with an excessive amount of information. Next time, we will look at what happens when Sarah arrives in San Diego and continues the mission work of Spain and Catholicism.